Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 421 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Aleph, and we have a small crew here this week. No Krim, Krim is making his way back from Magic Con Philly, but we do have the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Good morning, Seth. How are you doing? How's your weekend? Cool. It was it was awesome. Uh, a little bit tired, a lot of driving, a lot of magic this weekend. I was at Magic on Philly, but it was so much fun. There was so many people there. Huge thank you to everyone who came up and said hi in GM games. I got to play against Richard. I've been waiting to tell you this because I uh, there were two decks I played against that I think you're absolutely going to love. One of them, it was a very Richard deck. It was uh, Yoshimaru Ragak. And it wasn't <laughs> CDH, but it was like Yoshimaru was just like attacking for eight on like turn three or whatever. It like got so big because Yoshimaru, then Ragak and all your legendary lands are growing Yoshimaru. So that was really cool. I even snagged the deck list. I figured uh, I'd ship it to you and maybe you'd play it someday because it just felt so Richardy. The other one, then this made my week on the last match I played on Saturday night. I sat down at like seven o'clock. I was like, I'll do one more match before I go get dinner. We played a four hour match, ended at like 11. And one of the decks that we played against, it was it was Joda, boring new Joda. But it was Joda playing the lands from Legends that are like your white Legends band with other Legends. Like that, they were playing that cycle and it was Joda legendary banding. And it was like trying to play Legends and then like band them with a taunting elf. And it was, oh, it was spectacular. So I got to see some cool decks got to meet a bunch of cool people so i had a amazing time this weekend at magic on philly but anyway our plan for today we got a bunch of stuff to talk about we have a huge amount of march of the machines news a bunch of early spoilers we had a pro tour this weekend we have some magic con feedback with people maybe complaining a little bit about magic cons uh, some magic economy news some new advertising for wizards so we're gonna get to all that but before we do a reminder that today's show is brought to you by card conduit and card conduit they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards if you ever get tired of all the hassles that go into buy listing your cards card conduit lets you skip them you don't got to do all the typing and spend all the time and do all their work with a curated service you can send in as many cards as you want with a buy list value of a dollar or more and pay a five percent service fee and if you want to do a little bit of work you can use their sorted service where you list and sort your cards ahead of time and pay just a two percent fee and no matter which one you choose you're going to get a detailed report with the results and a fast payment once your order is processed and right now you can even get another 10% off by heading over to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish cardconduit they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards so thank you so much to cardconduit for supporting the show and let's start with the Pro Tour and talk some magic. So uh, one of the downsides of going to Magic Con Philly is I didn't get to watch much of the Pro Tour. It was a little weird. It was uh, set off by itself in its own room and you couldn't go spectate or anything. So I didn't really get to watch the matches. Uh, Richard, I think you might've caught some of it. What happened at Pro Tour Phyrexia for uh, the Pioneer format? Paper Magic is back, Seth. JK, it's previous season. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Pioneer Limited Pro Tour. Um, It was really dark. I don't know where they were filming this, but it was just really dark in general. (laughs) Whenever they cut to people, were interviewing people. But it was the first Pioneer Pro uh, Pro Tour. Super diverse. uh, Great storyline. Hometown hero. I don't know he's not hometown hero, but longtime grinder Reed Duke finally won his first Pro Tour. Uh, in the format, you know, where Rakdos mid-range is so prominent, 20% of the meta, of course he plays Is It Creativity to Shatter My Soul. 
but he clutched out the top eight. He started the top eight down two games, uh, reverse swept, and then kind of just plowed his way through. Uh, super diverse meta. I haven't been following Pioneer that much, but it feels like the new, the old modern, I guess. It feels like anything yeah. can go. Uh, the meta game was pretty diverse, and it seems like you were just rewarded for knowing what you were doing and how your deck was going. I think the finals uh, was pretty interesting with Slesnia or- uh, Auras versus Is It, and there was a Maldifor, right? And people were complaining, <laughs> like, oh, he's mauling too aggressively, but. I think Benton had a game plan, and he needs the, the, the turn one scout to win, so he mulls all the way down to it. And uh, he, he, he could he could have got there, right? Like, that mull four <laughs> almost worked. Um, but, yeah, it was actually pretty interesting. A lot of old guard there and a lot of new players. Uh, top eight had Nasif, uh, Yasuoka, and Reduke. Uh, and then some of the upcoming players, uh, Benton Madsen, Takumi Matsura, and Derek Davis. So it was the return of paper magic. And it, it was really interesting, and it was all kind of thrown away because they decided to do previews right in the middle of the finals. So after watching the epic finals, I went on to Reddit to discuss, you know, our hero Reduke, and all I saw were like two pages of spoilers. And I'm like, why did you do this, Wizards? Why did you not only spoil during the top eight, but spoil like half the set like a week after? Uh, Phyrexia All is One just released, so it was it was a weird, unfortunate timing. Yeah, that that was a little weird. I actually tweeted something about that, and Aaron Forsyth uh, responded, which was interesting. He said, from their perspective, the whole like spoilers during the Pro Tour thing, that they said they want Pro Tours to happen soon after a set comes out, which I think is correct. We've talked about that in the past, like yeah. Pro Tours happening six weeks after uh, a set release is just pretty boring and solved. So that's good. They want the PTs to happen at cons, and then they also okay. want cons to have sneak peeks in previews. So I feel like all of that makes sense. Like the that's why they ended up with this timing. The one thing I would say is just pause the pro tour for an hour like do it during lunch break or something like the awkward part was it felt like spoilers was directly competing with what should be a pretty epic moment like redo finally winning his pro tour he was playing against brett uh Bretton madsen which was one of the great stories he qualified for the pro tour playing arena on his phone which i cannot like imagine playing qualifiers like i can imagine playing arena casually on the phone but ruining qualifiers so i think the timing was less than ideal so i hope if they do that again just like take a break from the pro tour for an hour and like play the stream and then like think of the hype that'll generate everyone will be like hyped for the new cards and then you go into the finals or whatever so i think there's a way that they could actually make it work meeting all their goals and also not like overshadowing the the finals of the pro tour which is what i felt like happened once they spoiled all the the marching machine stuff just just wait till the next Magicon. Like, I, I have played literally one League of Standard, and you're giving me, like, spoilers of the next set of the storyline, right? Like, we actually know what happens uh, because they reveal some cards, which pretty much tell you what happens. Uh, I've played one League, Seth. I don't need more <laughs> cards to look at. I, I'm still trying to understand cards from the previous set. Speaking of which, did you catch uh, the misplay on camera? But I think it was Reed Duke. Yeah, it was Reed Duke. Oh, he, no, what, what happened? He opened a Phyrexian language Luca, apparently. <laughs> and uh, him and his opponent didn't know what it did, apparently. And they, like, sacked a random creature just for the heck of it because it was Phyrexian language. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, like good job, uh, wizards. Like maybe don't make your planeswalkers in Phyrexian language in the new set so that people can understand how to play with them. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of hilarious. I guess, yeah, maybe maybe there's a reason not to put those cards in draft boosters. I hadn't really thought about that. I always want to see things in draft boosters because they are, like, cheap and kind of the default for people. And it feels bad if you can't open a cool thing in those packs. But maybe leaving that stuff out of draft boosters makes sense for the sake of limited because I hadn't thought about the, the punt potential. Yeah, the Pro Tour overall, like, it ended up being diverse. The top eight, there was multiple creativity decks, I think. That was, like, the Team Channel Fireball deck, or a lot of people that used to be Team Channel Fireball. I don't know if it's still officially Team Channel Fireball. A couple of Lotus Field decks, and then some one-ofs. We saw Enigmatic Fires make it with uh, Elish Norn in the main deck, proving proving the worth of Panharmonicon once and for all. Officially a top eight Pro Tour card. What do you think about Mono Green Devotion? That was one of my big questions coming into it. Like, if you look at this top eight, the two most played decks coming into this, Rakdos was like, whatever, 15, 16, 18%. Mono Green Devotion was just behind it as the second most played deck. One Rakdos in the top eight, zero Mono Green Devotions in the top eight. And even if you scroll down a little bit more through like decks that did well in Constructed, you can see them all over on the site. It's got all the decks that uh, posted solid records. There's not a lot of Rakdos in Mono Green near the top. There's a little bit. You see a couple at like 7-3 Mono Green. There's a Rakdos at 8-2. and two. Were those decks flops? Like, is this a case of like everyone knew they were going to be heavily played, so they just teched for those matchups, or are those decks not as good as everyone thought heading into this pro tour? I see a lot of combo decks here, Seth. <laughs> I don't know how Rakdos Midrange makes it anywhere. Maybe it was a case of everyone. So, so when I when I watched the matches, okay, I saw Mono White just steamroll combo decks. And then I saw combo decks just steamroll Rakdos midrange. So I, I believe, like, maybe normally the combo decks aren't as strong, but because everyone was just playing Rakdos, they, they became stronger. And then the, the rock, paper, scissors aspect is, like, aggro just, just takes out the, the combo decks. Um, but I, I did not see a lot of Rakdos midrange. And seeing this top eight, like, I don't want to be playing Rakdos midrange here. <laughs> and so, interestingly, Reduke known for casting thought seasons, did not play Rakdos midrange. And he said he basically went with the team, the team deck, right? Uh, which is which is smart. And, but he listed some other options that he was going to play, and none of them included Rakdos midrange. <laughs> he was like, I, I was testing like Lotus Field combo and Mono Green Devotion and stuff like that. He didn't put Rakdos midrange in there. I don't know why. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm. But if, if Reduke decides not to play Rakdos midrange, then... <laughs> I don't want to play Rakdos midrange. Yeah. yeah, if Reed can't win with a Jun-style deck, then uh, then probably no one can. So it'll be very interesting to see where Pioneer goes from here, because even if you just look at the Pioneer metagame page, Rakdos and Mono Green Nykthos or Mono Green Devotion, those were the two most played decks on Magic Online, just like in general heading into this tournament. So maybe we'll get a shakeup. There's been some talk about like, oh, should we ban Nykthos? Do we need to do something about that? Can you ban something from Rakdos? But these Pro Tour results make it seem like, I don't know, maybe it's not necessary unless it's one of those cases where like everyone was just super prepared for those matchups. Maybe Pioneer is actually in a pretty healthy place. And I like the comparison you made earlier to like old modern. In a lot of ways, Pioneer does feel like 
kind of the glory days of modern modern in like 2015 or something before modern horizons when the format was really diverse when you could kind of keep your deck and play it for a long time without having to do a ton of changes where you could play your old standard card so if you're someone who hasn't checked out pioneer yet i would definitely recommend it and this pro tour makes it seem like even a better idea with the diversity there how was viewership richard like i said i didn't get to watch much i saw at one point someone said 29 30,000. is that like about where Twitch was in viewership at its peak? I think I saw like 35 or 36 or something, 36K during the finals. I, I wasn't keeping tabs on it, but it seemed like a good amount. I think people were hyped and it really did feel like the return of paper magic, right? Like there, there's something like when, when you have like Marshall and Paul commentating, right? Like it kind of, then you see like Reed Duke playing and like, I don't know, it just <laughs> brings back the memories of pre-COVID, I guess, right? Like, and yeah. it's also Pioneer, a format not tainted by Arena, right? So when you play Standard, it gets solved super quickly. Everyone plays it. Pioneer, you can only play in paper and Magic Online. So I think part of this diverse meta is that it's just not as developed, right? When we have Arena, like, we're a week past all is one. I'm pretty sure Standard is solved, right? <laughs> uh, but, like, Pioneer is kind of just going, right? And I, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a shakeup in the meta, due to this pro tour, just like the old days, right? Like now people will be like, oh, I've been playing, is it creativity wrong? I'll do what Reed Duke does, right? I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, sideboard in and out of the combo, right? And, you know, I, I can actually play half the combo, right? Like just seeing how they navigate these situations, I think will change how people perceive these decks. And I think the meta will change. So I think it's it's the return of paper magic in, in all senses, right? It defines the metagame. Uh, it was an epic battle, uh, very interesting matches, uh, good commentary, good everything. And yeah, it's kind of, we just, we went back like four or five years to when OP was still a thing. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's pretty encouraging then like 30 plus thousand for the first paper pro tour back with a ton of people being at a magic con and like me, I would have been watching if I was home, but I wasn't. So I couldn't, that seems pretty successful, honestly, compared to like some of the low points of like the MPL era where they'd have this huge thing and it would be a few thousand people watching it. So it seems like there is actually some hype and demand there for, for paper tournament magic, which is really exciting. And it's hilarious that read one, like as many changes as we've had in magic over the past few years and all the talk about all the ridiculous stuff that's happening. Some stuff never changes. And that's read Duke just like winning tournaments and being good at magic. Like it, it seems like no matter what read is just always there at the top of the meta. So congratulations to him. And it's really cool. Like you said, to see a mixture of these, like, like old school iconic pros like Reed and Nassif with brand new like I qualified through arena on my phone players and everyone having success. So that's that's really cool to see that happening. But is this going to get you to play Pioneer, Richard? I know you haven't been a Pioneer player. Did this sell you on trying the format? I, I, I've kind of sold like it. It looks really interesting. It I, I really think it it is old modern. Like I, modern is now just kind of block constructed where this is the last <laughs> yeah. organic format. I think, right? Like, there's no direct-to-pioneer yep. product. Wizards isn't messing with it. So, yeah, I, I'm, like, kind of iffy about the fetch lands, like, not being there. But <laughs> it, it looked pretty diverse. It looked pretty good. So I think, I think I'll try it as soon as I'm done with Standard. What are you, what are you playing in Standard, by the way? Off-topic slightly. Mono-white mid-range. Not, nothing has changed, Ooh. Seth. Like, the, the same deck I've been playing, 5-0 in a league, <laughs> looked exactly the same as everything. 
when someone's playing Toxic, I'm like, what is this nonsense, right? I'll just play my Planeswalkers, wrath you away, and away you go. Uh, and and here's here's what I missed. Uh, so last set, they 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 added the Reclamation Sage um, yep. in white. That is such a clean answer to Fable the Mirror. Oh. Uh, it is so clean, and weirdly enough, I'm mono-white. I feel I'm better than every deck in the format, so I always use its ability to draw... <laughs> I'm like, control deck? I'm like, you can't control me. We both draw cards, right? What are you going to do? I'm going to flash it an Emperor, play another Emperor, the big one. Like, what are you going to do about this, right? So it's weird where I feel like I'm the biggest deck and also like no one can get under me because I have all these chump blockers and cheap removal. I'm like, this deck is so broken. I'm not not sure what's going on. And Atraxa is like hot garbage. (laughs) I'm not an Atraxa believer. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you like the, the what is essentially a secret rendezvous activated ability <laughs> on a creature. Little surprise that you like it is the standard, greatest standard but... card ever printed. <laughs> how many? How many Elish Norns? Any? Uh, so any? I, I I put two in my deck. One cyber, hey. one main. I always wanted to remove them from my deck. I, oh, I, I never no. like th- this was a big mistake. I'm like I cannot risk playing a five drop and getting blown out. <laughs> So my answer to Atraxa is like unlicensed Hearst or whatever and Lion Sash. And uh, if they yeah. play, a, if they actually have a 5C mana base, then I, I, I'm dead. Um, but yeah. most people try to cheat it in and my graveyard hate takes care of that. Uh, like playing Elish Norn and getting blown out is, is too scary. I, can't, I cannot have that happen. So I, I never play Elish Norn. I never bring it in. So I'm like, these need to be cut from the deck. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, all right. Any other Pro Tour thoughts before we hit up some of our many other topics? When's the next Pro Tour set? <laughs> do, do we still... Is it like the normal cadence now? Like the next set we get a Pro Tour? <sighs> okay. So I believe there's four... There's four during the year. I believe they're all at Magic Cons. I do not know the the date off the top of my head, though. So I know there's... We have Vegas in September. I believe there's Indianapolis in between. So I think it's roughly lining up with set releases, but I, I would have to double check the actual schedule. Is it time for Vegas again? I feel we just did Vegas. <laughs> I know. Doesn't it feel like it just had? It's not. To, well, it's like six months from now. It's like yeah, the we got to start planning so for we got it. Some, we got some time. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, more pro tours are on the way and the arena ones will be uh, mixed in in between, too. So we'll still be getting some of those for arena fans. Uh, all right. We're going to get to spoilers in a minute, but a couple other topics I wanted to hit quick. One is, so I went to MagicCon Philly over the weekend, and I had a blast. I thought that if you heard the podcast about Vegas and some of our issues with Vegas, with the biggest one being no free play space, really, unless you went outside of the venue and played outdoors, a lot of those issues were solved. Like, there was ample free play space. I got to just hang out with people who didn't have to pay to go into the command zone, play games with them, sign stuff. It was awesome. It still had all the cool stuff of Vegas, all the cosplay stuff and all like the booths with the crazy setups and all that stuff. Like they did that stuff, but they also managed to have enough space. So I think that they solved my biggest problem with Vegas. So I was a little surprised when I fired up the Magic Reddit and the top post about Magic Con was like a big complaint post about how it was like just a horrible, overcosted experience and events starting late with, I think, the biggest criticism through this entire thread essentially being the cost of of going to a Magic Con where you got to pay 
hundreds of dollars for a ticket, then you got to pay more if you want to play in events. And what do you get for the money that you spend? I guess some panels, which not everyone is impressed with, even though uh, I'm sure Krim will talk about this in the future. There was an epic uh, Game Nights Live with Krim involved that was a ridiculous game of Commander. Richard, what do you think about this this criticism? What do you think about the Magic Con model? I came away from it feeling like I had a great time. But I also am a creator that a lot of people know. I, you know, have a unique experience when I go to a Magic Con. What do you think of the criticism of this model? Because this is apparently where we're going. Like, the rest of this year and probably into the future, this is going to be the big events. What do you think? So I read the thread before speaking to you. Uh, So my impression is everyone said is exactly the same as Vegas. And people were not happy with Vegas. Uh, and my takeaway from that was there was not any free play area. So did they have free play area readily available in the main hall? And did they advertise it? Like maybe no one knew about it because most people were just complaining about you had to pay money to get in and then you had to pay again to play or you had to pay again to the command zone and it simply wasn't worth it. Was the, the free play area not accessible by normal people? The free play area I thought was actually very easy to find. So I will say one of the weird things about this con is it was kind of split up through multiple levels and multiple rooms. The Philadelphia Convention Center is really big. uh, And there was like a cheerleading convention also going on there. But the Magic Con was like... It had a main room, but then it had like a side room that had the command zone in it that was big. Then it had a downstairs layer and then somewhere that no one could get to was the pro two area. So there was probably like 10 different rooms that were hosting the Magic on. There were maps posted around showing where to go. And there was a free play area literally right next to the main stage where they did game nights and all the vendors were. And there was another free play area in the room where the command zone was. So if you kind of walk past the command zone, there was just a big free play area past that. So I thought it was pretty easy to find. I thought the entire setup was, at first, especially day one, I was having a hard time finding anything just because everything was so scattered through different rooms. But once I figured out like what was where, I thought it was pretty well advertised and, and uh, accessible to everyone. Like I, I think that I had no problem finding it. So if that was a criticism, I would pretty heavily disagree with that. I feel like Wizards solved that issue of not having free play area. I will say it is expensive. There's no doubt about that. I was playing with someone and uh, they they were selling beer at the convention center through the like the concession stand. And the beers were like $12. If you want to get a bottle of water, it's $5. If you want to play in actual events with prizes, it's going to cost. Like it's expensive to go do like a chaos draft or go do whatever like All that stuff is going to be expensive, but you can just buy the basic ticket and play hours of magic. I played a little in the command zone, but I spent most of my weekend just playing with fans and random people in the free play area. So uh, that was definitely very possible at this event. Yeah, I think it's a marketing thing. I think they got to get rid of command zone, right? Because you're like, oh, how do I play commander? They're like, go to the command zone, but give us some more money, right? And that's (laughs) what everyone's impression is. They're not like, well... You know, you got to you got to scour the hall for the free play area. Then you got to somehow assemble a, a pod, which isn't that difficult if you know where everyone is loitering. But if you just like walk in some random area, you don't know where to start. Uh, whereas the command zone, there's like a little check in place at the front and then they'll put you in a pod. Uh, and that costs like wizards kind of nothing. So I think they should just open the command zone to be free to be included in your ticket uh, Nix the prize support because they, they give out some packs for you to distribute, right? We don't need that. We just need literally like one person at the front 
assembling like pods of four people, right? Like, and then, you know, shuffling them off to the right table. So I think it's an advertising thing because they're, they're heavily pushing the command zone and the command zone has a price tag on it. So people just assume that you need to pay that to play and then they're not happy about it. Uh, because I, I think the other criticism uh, makes sense, right? Like, why are you paying so much money for the ability to shop at vendors, right? To see like yeah. 10 panels or something. Like a, a normal convention has hundreds of panels. Like there are panels like nonstop in multiple rooms going all the time. Whereas the panels at Magic Con like barely count. Um, it's just like one main stage of things you can see online anyway. Uh, so I, I see that. So if they just roll in the command zone, uh, make the free play like very front and center, I think a lot of people would be not, you know, they, they feel like they're getting taken advantage of, right? Like they're, they paid money to come here. They paid money for a hotel and flight. They paid money to get in the door. And then they got to pay again for events. And apparently the events were not very well run either. <laughs> like they, they started late and... Uh, they cut off sign up super early. So if you showed up like an hour before the event to sign up, you couldn't even do it. Uh, so, you know, th- those kind of things need to be ironed out. But yeah, I think command zone being free would just solve everything. And I'm not sure why Wizards kind of needs to double dip there. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that as well. Like, I get it. It's not the old GP days where the tournament's subsidizing everyone else. Like, I think it is fair that people pay something to have space to play in because it is expensive to do all that stuff. So I, 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 I'm I, okay with it not being free like it used to be, but I do think it feels bad to have to pay a pretty high amount for a weekend pass and then also pay to get in the command zone on top of that. I, I think we could just eliminate that and let everyone go and play and have the command zone be part of the free play area. And that would probably solve a lot of problems. So I would say my experience... This was a good step in the right direction from Vegas. Like, Wizards did learn some things from Vegas and did solve some of those issues. And if we keep heading in this direction, I think we're going in a really cool space. Like, it was neat to have all the pros there and, like, get to have conversations with all the people that were doing Pro Tour stuff, which is usually kind of separate from Command Fest and that aspect of things. So it really did feel like a huge amount of the community came together and we got to have everyone in one place, which is something that I think we've really missed through uh, through the pandemic era. So yeah, maybe it's not perfect yet, but I, I would say this was definitely a big step in the right direction. But let's keep moving on. We still got so much to get to. Uh, Richard Magic has more uh, financial info out, and we found out Hasbro sinking like a rock, apparently, uh, down $200 million, roughly, compared to quarter four of last year with this quarter four. But Magic's still ticking up, and... $1 billion, the first time that Magic has actually topped a billion dollars in a year. What do we make of this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Seth. Is it sustainable? Um, no idea. Is it okay that the rest of Hasbro is bleeding money? <laughs> Probably not. Um, I mean, it's weird because... They said it was a billion dollar brand and then they just actually just made a straight up billion. So aren't you like way more than a billion dollar brand if, you're, <laughs> if your revenue is like a billion? I'm confused, but okay. Uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of secret layers, Seth. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say I contributed to this. I'm a part of a, the billion dollar <laughs> magic. 
Yeah, I mean, it is exciting to see such a big number, although it also it does make the layoffs feel worse. We talked about that a little last week, and I yeah. talked to some people who worked at Wizards uh, over the Magic Con, just running into them and playing events. And it sounds like it is not only cutting like the South American team and stuff like that, but it is actually cutting jobs like at Watsi in Washington. People who design your cards or have, you know, part in that process, like their jobs are getting cut. So it feels pretty bad that Wizards and Magic can be doing so well and people would be losing their jobs at the same time. So that part, it makes that like zero sense. Disappointing. Right? Like, if, if they're making so much money and they're expected to make more next year, right? They're projecting, you know, you always have to project growth. You should be yeah. adding to your workforce, not removing. Like, I understand if they were down, but even then, right? Like, even if they were down, they'd still be making so much money. It, like, doesn't even warrant job cuts. But, you know, if they were down, you could actually see something. But they're up. Uh, you should be cutting people from, as bad as it sounds, how it actually works, is like you would be cutting people from the divisions that are not making as much money, right? Because you would move those resources into divisions that make more money. So magic making a ton of money and losing part of his workforce makes zero sense, right? So I'm not really sure what's going on other than the fact that they just want to cut people for the sake of cutting people. Like, I don't know, right? I mean, I think that's the part where the Hasbro ownership hurts because Hasbro, the other IPs might not be doing well. And as a whole, they like end up losing money and uh, Magic ends up paying the price, even though they're doing well, which is disappointing. But all right. One other bit of news before spoilers. Did you see, Richard? Uh, Advertising on Hot Pockets. Someone went to their local Walmart and went to buy some Hot Pockets and found Gideon staring back at them. Apparently, Magic Arena is doing a promo where if you buy Hot Pockets, I haven't seen them myself in person yet. Wait, so is I this don't real? I thought this was this a joke. <laughs> No, this no, is no. This is this is this is real. And you get some arena sleeves and some XP. Like if you buy the twelve pack, you get like two thousand XP and some custom arena sleeves. I haven't seen them. I don't know if there's hot pockets on them, but maybe. Uh, what do, what do you think of this uh, this promotion? Yo, hold on. I got I got to say, email the hot pockets. We need a sponsorship right now. <laughs> um. <sighs> I don't know. I eat Hot Pockets. No, I don't. I used yeah. to as a kid. I, I tried it recently. They're like really expensive now. If you, if you didn't know, I'm like, what the heck? Why yeah. am I paying so much for a Hot Pocket? Uh, but so I, I actually noticed this. if you go to the frozen food aisle, you see a lot of esports going on. Like they have like Halo pizza and stuff. Like there, yeah. there's a lot of like yeah. Fortnite stuff. Like there's a lot of games branded in kind of like. I don't know what you'd call it, like teenage junk food, right? <laughs> like stuff you used to eat as a kid. Uh, so it's not surprising. Hot Pocket seems weird. I thought it was, I, I actually thought it was a meme. I thought someone just photoshopped this in. <laughs> I'm, I need to go to Safeway right now <laughs> to see if there's Hot Pockets because I would buy some. You know, you know, you should, I mean, you should buy the hot pockets and gift it to your friend. They think it's a booster box, and they're like, "Wait, <laughs> it's just hot pockets." <laughs> does it look I like mean, a booster box? <laughs> it does. It does. I, I don't know if the picture is that great, but it does kind of look like a booster box. A booster box of hot pockets. I mean, it can't be bad to have magic IP in the supermarket. That's a place that eyes are gonna be on it. Like, so I assume it's got to be a good. 
a good thing overall for the game. Like, I'm kind of excited, but I think it's funny that it's Hot Pockets in specific, just because that's been kind of a meme for so long. Ago. Do you remember? <laughs> remember so, Dave someone didn't do any research. They were like, "This this means something yeah. in the magic community." Should be <laughs> yeah. There is. <laughs> if you're an old timer, Hot Pockets has a bit of a meme, <laughs> a meme surrounding it that I'm not going to get into, but you can probably look up. But yeah, I thought that part made me crack up. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. Wait, wait, wait. Seeing. Is, that, is this financially viable? Should I be like slamming hot pockets down this week? How much? How much magic arena rewards do I get from buying hot pockets now? The 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 rewards are kind of they're cool, but they're not cards. So if you're someone who really wants like every sleeve available and stuff. This does give you something unique that I don't think you can get any other way from the sounds of it. But it's not cards. It's like sleeves okay, so you and get XP and you. stuff like that. No, you're not, I don't think you're getting any packs Darn. or anything from what I've seen. But I really wanted to tell plus, my wife we need to buy a case of hot pockets. We got to buy a case of hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to build model right mid-range. I need to I buy 500 hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be funny if that was cheaper than buying the like, cards on Arena. The most efficient way is just to buy box on box of hot pockets. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get let's get to our big topic. Yesterday for MagicCon Philly, there was a panel that started talking about March of the Machines. March of the Machines. That's our next premiere set, I guess, next standard set. And it actually doesn't come out until the middle of April. We're like two months away from release. We're six weeks away or uh, roughly from spoiler season officially starting. But Wizards showed us a lot of cards yesterday and gave us a lot of information on the set. And it seems like... Basically, the, the TLDR of the story is like the Frexians are corrupting everything and trying to take over the multiverse. And we're seeing legendary characters from around the multiverse from different planes coming to try to fight the Frexians and keep them from taking over their home plane or whatever. That seems to be the theme of the set. And these cards are they look like something out of a custom card Reddit for the most part, but they are very interesting. And I want to hear what you think. So, Richard, take us through some uh, March Machine spoilers. All right, I, I think the whole set was revealed, Seth, because we got a we got a <laughs> lot of stuff here. We got I'm counting like three mythics, uh, maybe ten rares or something. A lot of stuff, so you can check them out on mtgpreviews.com. Uh, we're gonna try to hit up some of them here. There's a lot of text on these cards. I'm not sure how many cards we're gonna get through, uh, but we're gonna start off with Jin Gitaxius. Uh, no title, just Jim Gitaxias. So three blue blue, five mana value, five five, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. All right, everyone get their abacus ready. Let's count all the words <laughs> on this card. Ward two, whenever a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. Three in a blue, exile Jim Gitaxias and return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control activate only as a sorcery and only if you have seven or more cards in hand the backside is a saga okay so chapter one <laughs> draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand you have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the great synthesis two return all non-phyrexian creatures to their owner's hand Three, you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their mana cost. Exile the Great Synthesis, then return it to the battlefield. What, what does My that God, last part like, do? It just resets the saga? It comes back as Jin Gitaxia. Oh, it comes back, come as, back as the front side. Yeah, so it comes back and you can... If somehow you go through all the modes <laughs> of this and your opponent's not dead, then you get Jin again and you get to start the process over. There are so many words on these cards. This is like four magic cards in one almost. 
is this card any good? Like, the Saga side seems busted. The problem is the Saga side, you got to play the front side. You got to have seven cards in hand. You got to pay four mana at Sorcery Speed. It's nine total mana and some amount of risk and having seven cards of hand to get to the Great Synthesis. If you pull that off, you had at least seven cards in hand. So you're going to have 14 cards in hand, no max hand size, bounce all your opponent's stuff, maybe not all of your stuff. You're not going to bounce Jin at least because that's a Phyrexian. And then you get this like one shot omniscience with 14 cards in hand where you're like, you're, you're going to win the game. Like if you actually go through all the modes of this, the like coming back as Jin just doesn't matter because I do not know how you can do all that without winning the game. The front side though is, I don't know, kind of mad to me. Like is the front side any good? It's got a little protection. It will draw a card sometimes, although mostly when you see these, like, cast a non-creature spell, draw a card effects, you really want to be triggering it with brainstorms and ponders and considers, like, one mana spells, not three mana spells. I don't know. What do you think? Like, is this card good at all? Nah. (laughs) It's trash, I think. Because (laughs) you need to load up your deck with like mana value three or greater so like ideally you could go five drop this thing untap play two three drop spells but why are you playing so many like three drop spells or like four drop spells like it's a lot of work to try to fill your hand up to transform this so is this like a leer or like a hull break horror or something i don't think so i think it's like way too much work and you really want to be playing like interaction that's like one or two mana like, your counter spells don't trigger this unless you play a mana value 3 counter spell, which, I don't know. How many cheaty cards do we have in standard where they, like, cost 5, but, like, actually they cost 1? <laughs> yeah, I was I was looking through some standard lists, and there's, there's not a ton of cheaty cards that are going to uh, help power this up. Like, if you just jam this in pre-existing decks, like, I thought, okay, mono blue. You play this in mono blue, you can protect it, you flip it, it's going to win the game. You don't have much that's going to trigger it. You got like Thirst for Discovery that'll trigger it. But most of your cards are one or two mana. And that's even true of most control decks. For the most part, like Azurius Control in Standard. I guess like Memory Delusion Wraths trigger it. Although if you're Wrathing, you're probably Wrathing away your Jenga Taxius. So it feels like the front side is just going to be really, really difficult to actually get much value out of. At least in 60 card formats. Yeah, Flash would make it would make it much more powerful i do so think, I think the can... best case is you Ugh. flash this in end of turn which it doesn't have and then you like double void rend <laughs> like Ooh. i think i think oh, Krim Krim will be all about this void rend, all about this yeah <laughs> void rend would trigger this i guess I mean, sagas it, trigger it like um planeswalkers it is any non-creature spell so yeah. they, uh, that's not bad you're to fairies and wandering emperors and everything that kind of helps. I mean, maybe it could be like a one of. I don't think there's any chance this is like a four of style card, but maybe you can play one in like a Super Friends deck or some sort of Sagas deck. I do think the backside's absurd. Like, if you think about what those modes are, it's like Seagate Restoration into an Upgraded Evacuation into an Omniscience. Like, that is a lot of mana value worth of spells. It's just the front side doesn't seem that strong to me. So I don't know if it's going to be worth like worth playing on the off chance that you actually get to the backside. But if you do get there, you're going to have a very good turn. Very good. I mean, I just told you I I was I'm too afraid to play Elish Norn at five mana (laughs) and the risk of it dying. Like I I just lose the game right there. And uh, Elish Norn has immediate upside if I untap (laughs) this one. You got to kind of work for, I guess maybe it's not that bad because you just cast a spell, but like, you also have to have four mana to transform it. And once you transform it, you probably win the game. But 
you need to refill your hand back up to seven and then transform. And all you have is Vord 2 to keep this alive. Seems a little a little shaky. Yeah. Not not a high enough Vord number there. All right. Uh, Planeswalker. Okay, Chandra, still alive, not completed. Uh, hey. Hope's Beacon. Four red red. Legendary Planeswalker Chandra, five starting loyalty. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. That's the static. Plus two, add two mana in any combination of colors. Plus one, exile the top five cards of your library until end of turn. You may cast an instant or sorcery from among those exiled cards. Minus X, Chandra deals X damage uh, up to each of two targets. Very powerful static ability. Like that's <laughs> spell spell a monogon. Yeah. I mean the the first thing that jumps out is the static. Like that static ability is double vision. I don't know if you remember that card from a couple yeah. years ago in standard. That's a five mana enchantment. So you're getting the same effect with all the upside for one extra mana. Double vision wasn't like a staple, but people did make use of it and people still play in commander. So I think this is a card. That you play because you're a deck that can take advantage of the static ability. And there are cool things it can do, like explosive singularities in standard. That's 10 damage. You double it. That's 20 damage. Or the, oh, no, what's the name of it? The one that removes, uh, you can flash it back by removing loyalty counters from Planeswalkers. Light up the night. Like, light up the night. Flash it back. Double it. Remove a bunch of loyalty counters. One-shot people. So I think there are synergies. It would work well in a Spellslinger deck, but six mana is just... I think it's probably too much for it to see play because you have like uh, Delver synergies. You got the oil counter. Is it Spellslinger stuff in standard? The effects on this card would be good in a deck like that, but I just don't know if a deck like that can actually play a six mana Planeswalker. I don't know. What do you think? Am I missing something? Is To me, this seems like a, a niche six mana Planeswalker that'll probably see fringe play at best. I think it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, getting to six is different. So the question is, is there a red deck that can get to six mana? But like you, 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 you pay six mana and you can plus two and cast like two removal spells. Like double a braid or double whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like double whatever. Like let's say you're playing Rakdos or something, right? You can like actually cast like two hard removal spells to, to clean this up. And then if you untap, that plus one gives you another like double spell. It doesn't have to be in your hand now. It's coming off your deck. So I I think it's really strong. And then even in the worst case, you just like six mana, like minus five, two targets. Like it's Yeah, okay. Okay. So, I mean, I guess it does protect it. You get immediate well. value. You get like so much value, right? The question is, can you actually make it to six mana and be in decent shape? And given how slow and grindy standard is, I, I think like a Rakdos deck or like a Grixis deck or something could definitely play this. Double Invoke Despair sounds oh, absolutely brutal. That is disgusting. Like, oh, if you untap oh. and Invoke Despair, it even gives you like the two black mana in case like your mana is yeah. not good. That, that would be disgusting. And then, but, but I think just like like two removal spells, like a, a two a two mana removal spell, you just double it up when you cast Chandra. It's probably good enough, no? Yeah, and I mean, I guess it goes up to seven loyalty if you plus two, and then it does trigger on each player's turn, so if you do untap with it, you can start casting card draw a spell or whatever during your turn, removal oh. during your opponent's turn, doubling that up. Oh, this is... This is 
Mm. Yeah. So, so once it gets mm. going, it does. That's the part that makes me think it might have a little commander potential too. Like just a double vision that can be attacked by creatures is awkward, but with three opponents, you can get a lot of value out of this if it sticks on the battlefield. And sadly, like doubling extra turn spells is probably the most busted thing to do with this, but uh, it is. Seth, the fact it triggers on each turn is kind of absurd. Do we have extra turn spells in standard? <laughs> we have the alchemist whatever the like three mana one that you can cleave it for seven mana but i think that's only uh, actually seven mana is right on curve i don't know maybe oh my boy yeah, you get plus two mana for Chandra, right yeah plus two mana extra turn and, two then, extra and then you turns. go infinite because you can plus one to keep digging for more of them <laughs> oh no we might have to okay you're you're selling me on Chandra. you're selling me as we talk about it <laughs> okay okay well, now now what if you invoke justice this thing out <laughs> like what if you cheat this oh play now, right? mm. yeah okay okay all right i think there is potential here i think i think there is potential actually the more we talk about it i think this card is actually pretty good the, the, the six is a lot though like getting to six mana is is actually a lot but i i'm bad in chandra this. tribal that's that's awkward <laughs> none of its <laughs> abilities work with other chandras so yeah <laughs> all right and now the direction that no one expected uh, we have a team upset where <laughs> we just take random legendaries and combine them uh, into a card. Uh, here is Thalia and the Gitrog monster, the pairing you never knew you needed. So one white, black, and a green, four mana, four, four, legendary creature, human frog horror. First strike, death touch. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Creatures and non-basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. When Thalia and the Getrog monster attack, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card. What is going do you on? Love or, do you love or hate this, Richard? This has been the big conversation. Like, I've heard some people like, oh, this is magic jumping the shark. It's too goofy. I personally kind of like it. I don't know. I did not expect it, but I think it's kind of cool to see these two characters mash together. I, I don't know. Where are you at with just like, because there's a bunch of these. This seems yeah. to be like one of the big themes of the set is like two legends kind of mash together. I like it, but not in my standard set. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's more legendary creatures, like lots of colors, lots of abilities. So if this was a commander set, like if this was this year's commander set, this would be amazing. Uh, we're not going to talk about all the cards, right? But there's Drown and Linvala, Galta and Maverin, Yargle and Multani. So there's <laughs> yes. a bunch of team ups, and it gives you like access to a bunch of effects and different color combinations. And like it's another, you know, if you like Galta, here's another Galta card. But now you get to play white, right? So for Commander, this is amazing. I don't know why my standard set is being polluted with all these legendary gold creatures that will not see play. Um, so yeah, that part I don't like, but I'm fine with the team up. The amount of text on these cards is kind of jaw-dropping at this point. Like, it really is Thalia and Gitrog Monster kind of mashed together. The taxing ability is literally just Thalia Heretic Cathar, Dexter Lands, that's Gitrog, First Strike from Thalia, Death Touch from Gitrog. So it's interesting to see how they're mashed together. I think it's a fun card. It's hard for me to imagine. One of the problems with being three colors is you're competing with a lot of cards. Like, if you're putting this in your standard deck, you could be playing any white four drop, any black four drop, any green four drop, and that's a huge list of Wandering Emperors and Shieldreds and Uvenwald Oddities. Like, there's so many cards competing for this slot. 
Maybe you played as a one of if there's like an Abzan mid-range deck. It does do a lot of things, like extra land drops good, slowing down your opponents good, but it's hard for me to imagine it actually developing into a, a real standard staple. Cool flavor though, at least. Like the flavor is definitely sweet. Yeah. Uh okay. So yeah, so there, there's lots of these. I'm sure we're getting more. Um yes. and it it's it's interesting because it's like partner without having the extra card, right? You get like <laughs> access yeah. to two colors you wouldn't normally get access to. You get all kinds of weird abilities like thrown together, but you don't have like the card advantage. So that's that's an interesting take on this. And this is a pretty common thing in in card games. I know like Pokemon has like team up sets and stuff, so yeah. Okay, so I guess that uh, I guess it makes sense. I don't know why Thalia's teaming up with the Gitrog. I don't know what's going on here, right? <laughs> so, I think like, they're both from Innistrad. I think it's like legends from the same home plane. So since they were both from Innistrad, somehow they they met each other and <laughs> rode off to battle against Elish Norn or whatever. I think I think is what they're going for. I, I, I need to know the, the 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 lore behind this. Like what is what what like what what's going on with Galta here with Maverick on top and has a little like caravan house thing on her. And I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it um, kind of looks like Siege Rhino with the the house on there. Does. I feel like th- this set's gonna be massively popular. I think. Yes. I think that one of the upsides of this is. There are going to be so many people's favorite characters and just iconic characters that people love for the past. Being able to jam so many of those characters into the same set, I think this set's going to be... I, I'm expecting this to be like War of the Spark or Dominaria or Innistrad, one of those like iconic sets that everyone's talking about for a long time. So I, I have very high hopes for this being a really huge set. All right, next up, Omnath, Locus of All. White, blue... Phyrexian black, red, green. Legendary creature, Phyrexian elemental, 4-4. If you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes black instead. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal it if it has three or more colored mana symbols in its mana cost. If you do, add three mana in any combination of its colors and put it in your hand. If you don't, reveal it. Put it in your hand. That what? that wording just... is so clunky. It's what it basically is, is at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you draw a card. If that card has three colored mana symbols, you also make three mana. And your mana carries over, sort of turning into black mana. Is it busted? I don't know. Like to me, is it feels it? way worse than locust of creation. Or like locust the, creation the is no slouch though. <laughs> Because, yeah, that that is true. That card was, like, absolutely broken. So this is good that it's not quite as powerful. It doesn't do anything. It is five colors. You got to wait to your pre-combat main phase to do anything. So you don't get your first card until the next turn. If you untap oh, with it, worst okay. case, you're drawing a card every turn. Best case, you're drawing a card and ramping three every turn. You only get mana if it has three or more colored mana symbols. But if, so if it's, like, a... a, a white 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 card you get the ability right you still get yeah mana. so if you hit invoke justice you get it if okay. you hit thalia you don't get it or whatever yeah okay okay i i thought you get this ability the first turn you play it but you actually have to wait a turn and that yeah it's kind of bad but then I, I, if they don't <sighs> deal with it every turn you basically get three mana and a card you definitely get a card and you might get three mana can, can you build how big a, of a de- can you build a deck with like three mana symbols <laughs> I, no wait no this is actually pretty bad because omnath needs like wooberg to cast 
Yeah. It so, seems like a challenge to build around. Yeah. I don't know. I've been playing like Cami War and Atroxa a little bit in standard, and I could see just jamming a copy for value because if it sticks around, it is drawing me a card extra turn. And if I get lucky, maybe it, I reveal Atroxa and it ramps me into Atroxa the next turn or something. So I could see playing one for value, but I don't think this is like niv Mizzet Reborn or something where this can be like a four of build around five color card. I, I don't think it quite has that power. Like, I, I don't think I want to sit down and be like, oh, I'm going to like fill my deck with things with at least three colored mana symbols to make sure I'm making three extra mana with this each turn. It seems like too much of a risk. I don't think the card's horrible, though. I think it'll be popular. Uh, <laughs> In Commander. I think uh, people want to play all the Omnaths together. People have been waiting for Vive Color Omnath. So this does let you just play all the other Omnaths together, which is kind of fun. It works for Five Color Elementals. But I would be surprised if this saw much 60 card play. Like I said, I'll jam one of my Cami War deck just, just because it's like a, it's a fine card. Four mana, four, four. Spend a couple life for the Phyrexian mana. How big of a deal is the unspent mana turning into black mana? Like, can we do anything with that? Is, is this a card? That's like the ability on the original Omnath. So I like the callback to original mono green Omnath, but you don't want to be like tapping out and trying to float your mana. Cause then if this dies, that's all going to go away. Right. So I, I don't know if that's, uh, is that actually a good ability? Do we have an X spell that's useful? It's like you're basically floating <sighs> to cast a bigger spell. This thing costs four. Or five? Like, what bigger spell are yep. you trying to cast? Maybe yeah, I don't you know what you're all of your mana into. and then cast Invoke Despair when it becomes black mana because you're playing a five-color <laughs> deck. Yeah, yeah it does help you play for your Invoke Despair. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I in Commander, you could Torment a Hailfire or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't expect Omnath to be good, but again, like... I'm glad that they did. This is another meme coming to completion because people have been asking for five color Omnath for so long. So I I like the card, even though I don't expect it to be uh, be super powerful in 60 card formats. The other thing we learned about this set is um, <laughs> we're getting more masterpieces. I guess they're actually more similar to like the retro artifacts in Brothers War, Mystical Archives in Strixhaven, where you get one every pack and there's some bonus cards. The theme this time is Legend. So it's going to be legendary reprints from the past. Cards are not legal in Standard, but they will be legal in Magic Arena formats, like Historic for the first time. Otherwise, they're just legal where they're already legal. The main reason I'm asking about this is we've seen two so far. One is Atroxaprator's Voice. That has one weird issue where it looks like a secret layer card and they just printed an Atroxa secret layer like a few months ago or like a year ago. So it's a little weird to see two of those in a row, but it's a very popular commander. The other one is the stupid monkey Ragavan. <sighs> we need more Ragavans in existence, but this is going to be legal and historic. Doesn't this just break arena? Like this card broke legacy. Like it's breaking arguably modern. Is there any chance this is actually safe in Historic? No. <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> That's my question, yeah. right? Like, okay, so Historic becomes a monkey format where you have the turn one removal, or you don't, and you lose. But if you do, then magic continues, right? Like, if it's good enough for basically every other format, I don't see why it wouldn't, like, be super obnoxious in Historic. Uh, is yeah. there... I don't, is there an alchemy card that like puts Ragavan? <laughs> like, like in, in yeah, no. 
<laughs> no monkeys allowed. Yeah, May- they could print one. They can just make some alchemy ragavan hate. <laughs> Do you think they I mean, pre ban could- it? You you said they have the ability to pre ban this. We've seen that in the past with like demonic tutor they pre brand or dark ritual they pre banned. Mishra's bobble was the only one I think from the retro artifacts that they pre banned. I hope they do, but I kind of think that they won't. <laughs> I think that they won't pre-ban it, and then they will end up changing it, banning it, doing something with it. Because I do think this card think just will take it? over the... Oh, I, I hope <laughs> not, but that seems like what they normally do with historic cards. But I think it will be a problem. So my guess is they don't pre-ban it, and it ends up being a problem, and something has to happen with it. Because I cannot imagine this not being one of the best cards in Historic. <laughs> I think they just say, get good, play more removal, and then let it, <laughs> just let it go. I, I don't see why they would add, like, why would they add it to Arena and then not have it be played anywhere? Especially since it's such a chase card that, like, everyone knows, right? Like, what, what, don't, aren't you curious? Would you log on and craft some Ragavans and play in Historic? <laughs> it's probably exciting if you're an arena player who hasn't played Modern. If yeah. you're someone who's played a lot of Modern or a lot of Legacy and are just sick of Ragavan like I am, I just have the fear of the card. Like, it, it doesn't excite me. It's just like, oh, no, another format where I'm going to have to deal with Ragavan. But I don't know. Maybe it'll be something that gets people onto the client if you've never played for it because it is powerful and people like powerful cards. I'm actually more hyped about Atroxa, that being added to uh, to Arena for the first time. Not that it would be great in 60 card formats, although how do we know? It's never been legal outside of Legacy, which is just a little bit too old for and too powerful for a card like Atroxa to work. Maybe that could work in Historic. Worst case... It's the literal most popular commander, so it's going to give uh, Historic Brawl players a really popular build around. So I think it's, if you don't play Historic Brawl, it's probably a good time to get into it, because we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of Legends, both in main sets and in reprint sets. The other thing we saw is we actually had a preview for March of the Machines Aftermath. Uh, that's the set that's coming out in like six months or something. Why? I think it's actually May, so not quite six months. Um <laughs> Uh, it's the 50 cards. I don't know why we're previewing cards. So we're like, it's a 50 card set that's going to be boostery. And the card shows off the Kenris apparently dying, which is a little bit of a lore spoiler. Is that card any good, Richard? The, the card is a four minute Orzov legendary enchantment. When it ETBs, exile two legendary creatures from your graveyard. You draw X and lose X. Rex is the greatest mana value among cards you exile. And then legendary spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card exiled with it. So in theory, you exile two. All your legends cost two less. Yeah. There's a lot right. of legends these days. Okay. <laughs> Can so, this be standard so for, play? So first off. I don't know why we got to spoil this thing that's coming out in six months. And on top of that, give us a story spoiler. <laughs> like, like, they, they did They did say that this was the least spoilery card they could show off. That, that, as far that as zero lore sense. purposes. They, they, they could have shown nothing. They, I'm sure there exists a rare or mythic that doesn't like spoil the whole story here. Um, but, I mean, you draw X cards... Where X is greatest mana value. So this is like four mana, draw 10 or something if you want, right? Like if you can get It could be in big. the right deck, yeah. Yep. So I don't know about standard, but commander, this seems insane. Um, and then it ramps too. Like yeah, negative two mana for all your legends. Actually powerful if you're like Kethris or Joda. If you're a legendary theme yeah. deck, that's a that's a powerful ramp ability. What about Rafine? Isn't this like perfect for Like. So there, there's yeah. some, like, Rafine Legends builds going around. Like, Rafine lets you loot, so you can get stuff in the graveyard, and then you cast this, you refill your hand, 
And then all your legends become cheaper. Shouldred is now two mana. Like, eh. do you gain life? That could be lose, worth. Oh, you lose life. You lose that. That's the biggest issue. Is like <laughs> the lose. Like exile is shouldered, lose four or something. Although shouldered does kind of undo that if you have shouldered yeah. on the battlefield. The, that that makes it all upside. I think the legendary decks would try a copy or two, like the Joda decks or like the Esper legendary theme decks. I think that they'd be interested in it. Also worth mentioning, it's all legends. So uh, ramps you into your planeswalkers. We were talking about Chandra being six mana or uh, Eternal Wander, things like that. Like two mana off of cards like that's very powerful as well. So I think it's a commander all star for legendary matter decks. I don't think it's impossible to see some standard play just because we're getting an absurd amount of legends. We've been talking about this forever and March of the Machines is not changing that. Like almost everything they previewed yesterday is a legend. So there's tons of fuel for it. Is this standard legal? It's standard legal, right? March of the Machines and Aftermath are both standard legal. Yeah. I think this card is like insane and standard actually. The more I think about it. Yeah. Pretty grindy. It's a grindy standard. We have so many legends, like all the, even like, say my Esper midrange deck, it's like half legends anyway, right? And we have a lot of easy way to dump things into the graveyard, like you have the connive mechanic, which is available in lots of colors, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have Fable, you have uh, the White Saga. So just like dumping, like say a six drop Wanderer because it's too expensive, and then just drawing six from four mana. Like, how do you? People are going crazy over Atraxa. Like this, this is like much easier to set up than Atraxa, right? And you just it draw is a whole bunch of cards. <laughs> it is worth pointing. You can only exile legendary creatures, so it wouldn't oh. work with Eternal Wander in specific. It'd have okay, to be so like a Shieldred or an Owl or something. Shieldred. But yeah. Mm. You get the cost reduction for any legends, but only creatures can be exiled to the okay, ability. But still, <laughs> but there's still so many legends. Like I, Wizards has successfully turned standard into commander. They tried with companions that flopped, and then I think they realized if we just make everything legendary, people are going to have to play more one ofs and two ofs. It'll kind of feel like commanders. So I think just the sheer number of legends in the format gives the card a shot, and definitely going to be great in commander. Well, March of the but. Machine has all the team up legends. And they all conveniently yep. work with Omnath because they all have like three mana colors in them. <laughs> Plus, you Ooh, get the two true. mana reduction from uh, the the funeral here, and then you get the three mana from Omnath. Like, I see a deck they're trying to oh. they're trying to push here. <laughs> and we still have Joda, Joda and Omnath. Jo- oh boy, cascading into all the legends. It's it's gonna be a wild standard. I I am oh, I'm so excited for this. I love three color sets. I like the direction they're going. I like the reprints that we've seen. I love Mystical Archive start type cards absolutely oh, so excited i think this set's going to be huge but who oh, we're running a little long richard i don't know do we have time to do any fish mail no, no, we, we gotta we gotta go long because we gotta hit the one uh, card that we actually need to oh hit, which is the world championship oh. card yes we can't leave that one out so fairy mastermind so this is uh yuda takahashi's world championship card from last year uh so he he actually gave an interview he wanted something blue <laughs> He wanted something playable in Commander Legacy Vintage. Uh, And he came up with this. So Fairy Mastermind, one in the blue. Creature, Fairy Rogue, 2-1. Flash, Flying. Whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. Three in the blue. Each player draws a card. I think this card's absurd. I think this card is... I think this card is a worthy reward. This is available from Standard all the way back. All of them? 
<laughs> I think this card's actually just really good. So in standard, there's lots of blood tokens. There's fable. There's several things that are making your opponent draw more than one card a turn. Plus in standard, a two, one flying flash body plays really well with like the Delver style shell. You don't got to tap out. You can flash it in uh, the ability. If you think about it, that each player draws a card, as long as you're activating this during your opponent's turn, that's actually your opponent draws one and you draw two because it'll trigger its other ability because your opponent drew for their draw step. So I think it's going to like the Delver style shell, at least in standard, this will be good. Once you go back into older formats like Legacy, people are brainstorming, people are pondering. Uh, this is a really good way to punish that style of effect. You don't need to draw that many extra cards like we see Ice Fang Quaddle in Baleful Strix be two mana flyers that draw a single card, be very, very good. They do have Death Touch, which is a big upside, but I don't think you need to draw 10 cards with this. If you draw two cards or three cards, that's absurd value for an on-curve two-mana flash-flying creature. So I think this card has a shot to, to see playing all the constructed formats, and I think this card's busted in Commander. Like, why would I not play this in every blue deck? Commander, so many people are drawing extra cards that I think you're naturally going to be like an Esper Sentinel, where if you play this early, you're going to look back on the game and be like, oh, I drew six cards with this or something, which is ridiculous. And if you don't think that's going to be good enough naturally, all you need is a Howling Mind or a Dictated Crew Fix, something like that. And you're going to be guaranteed to be drawing, double drawing every single one of your opponent's turns. But what am I missing? Am I wrong, Richard? Is this card not busted? Well, I got to search the name of this because <laughs> it's so bad I don't play it. Alms Collector. <laughs> Let me introduce you to Alms Collector, Seth. Three in the white. It's a 3-4 flash. Uh, if an opponent would draw two or more cards, instead you and that player each draw a card. So slightly different because they need to draw two cards at once, right? But it's, like, I don't know. People can play around it. You might get people once. It's, it's definitely good, but I wouldn't say it's Esper Sentinel or Ristic Study. Like, those are Ooh. so easy to trigger. This one, you need someone to actually explicitly start drawing cards. You could activate the ability, but the ability is not that good in Commander. Um, it is worse in Commander, yeah. So, so Ledger Shredder is what we would look at here. And so, so Yuta Takahashi said he wanted this to be a 2-3 because he wanted to block Dahlia's and Raghavan's, and R&D said no. <laughs> and I think that's the big yeah. difference, right? So Ledger Shredder grows and is a win con. And is actually a pretty decent blocker. Uh, and it actually becomes a really good blocker if it like just like gets one counter on it or something, right? This thing is forever just like a 2-1 and it draws cards. Is that good enough? Like, would you play Sign in Blood? Like, how, how many cards do you need to draw with this thing before it's good enough, right? Because it's not a very able body. So I'm not as convinced as you for older formats. Like, maybe it works, but... I can see a world where it doesn't, and you just play Ledger Shredder and, like, call it a day. I think the flash is a big selling point. I really like that you can leave up your mana, yeah. counterspell if you need to, if not, yeah. flash this in. Leave up your mana, removal if you need to, if not, activate the ability. You were just talking about Lauren in Standard and activating that ability. This is like, yeah, you gotta pay mana, but it's that ability on steroids, because you're drawing two and your opponent's drawing one. So for me, the flash really makes it. That's the ability. We've seen, like, Spell Stutter Strike uh, yeah. be very good. We've seen uh, Ice Fang Quaddle mention that earlier. Uh, so the cheap, like, two-mana flash flyers with upside tend to be good constructed cards. To me, this looks like it has enough upside. And to go back to Commander, so many people are playing Phyrexian Arena or playing Rhystic Study or playing these like card draw effects. I think that if you just play this fairly in a random game, 
I think you're going to be surprised how many cards you draw. I think you're going to come away from it thinking, wow, that was way, I drew way more cards than I expected with this. Cause I, I just think in most commander games, someone's going to be cantripping or Frexing arena yeah, or Ristic right. studying in, and you're going to be getting just naturally free cards every turn cycle. I think you draw like five or six cards, which is insane for two mana, but a Ristic study would yeah. get you like 15 cards. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. So, I don't yes, think it's, it's as, good as good as, as Ristic those, study. but I think you will more than likely make more than like say two cards and at two cards this is more than good enough right and it's good against ristic study <laughs> so if everyone yeah. else is playing ristic study like this just being out there is going to draw you a ton of cards so yeah. well yeah i mean i don't know if i was going to win a world championship i would want to make a pretty strong card and i think you did kind of nailed it i do wish it was a one three i think he said one three because he wanted to black oh, ragavan yeah. would that be too strong do you think oh, i actually would be, would be, be too busted too in modern okay. because now you have defense Wow, like the, the problem with this is like you're paying two mana to draw cards and most people will not take turn two off to cast a sign in blood or something, right? Like you're just going to die. But if you have a one yeah. three holding the ground, then you, you're free to dirtle around and just like sit there <laughs> and start accumulating advantage. So I think being able to block like whatever aggressive creatures are coming in is actually very strong. Um, yeah, and then it, it, it uh, I think it's the force to... He, he also made that explicit. It needs to pitch to force of will and force of negation and all of that. So <laughs> Krim would be happy. He's like, you'd have really wanted the blue, eternal blue players to get something as if they didn't get enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of our cast. Probably not enough time for fish mail this week, but Richard, if people want to get fish mail in for next week when there's not spoilers, how do they go about that? All right, you can send them on Twitter to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 421 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we'll be back next week to talk about everything that's going on in the world of magic. So, until then, everyone, have a great week. And this is a crew signing out.